0: This week, the Great American Think-Off, New Orleans Saints punter Thomas Morstead is headed to Minnesota to drop off a check at Minnesota Children's and we get the dish on Super Bowl foods at U.S. Bank Stadium. But first, Minnesota received mixed grades in the 2018 State of Tobacco Control report released this week. Tasha Radel has more.
1: Thanks, Scott. Joining me now to break down the annual report is Pat McCone with the American Lung Association of Minnesota. Welcome, Pat let's dive into the data. Where do you want to start?
2: Well, let's start with good news. I like good news um, in the efforts that are going on in our state to reduce the harm and destruction from the number one killer in our country and our state. So we get an A for smoke-free air, for freedom to breathe, of which we celebrated the 10-year anniversary last year, So I think uh, that is a huge accomplishment, and we want to keep that strong. The other A that we get, and an important one, is about how we serve those that are trying to quit, access to cessation. And that is an A, and I'm really proud of that, because so often people say, oh, well, you know, just help those people that are trying to quit. And we do have the gold standard in our state for helping people to quit. So that's the good news. (laughs) The bad news is, well, is that our funding, the funding for tobacco prevention is an F. We have failed. We have failed in spite of the settlement. You know, none of the settlement dollars are going to tobacco prevention funding. And we really need to take a serious look at that. It is the number one killer in our state. Our state spends $2.5 billion in health care costs. And we know, we know the cure. The cure is preventing the start. And then we also have tobacco taxes. Well oh, that's a B, a B. You know, we took um, we took a rollback during last session when the inflator that was an annual increase on cigarettes was rolled back. Uh, the governor was very uh, unhappy about that and made it clear he was uh, that there has been no progress made in re- reinstating reinstating that that automatic increase. And then there's something new in our report card nationally this year, and that's Tobacco 21, raising the age of this deadly product purchase to 21. And we have an F in that. I would say uh, work has started across the state. There's a lot of interest in in raising that age and keeping it out of the high school. So um, that's a new one, and we will work on improving that. And and, uh, you know, showing a report card that we can be proud of across the board.
1: And when we look at the report card, how do we compare with other states? Are we kind of, you know, leading the pack in the middle or or at the bottom, would you say?
2: I would say we're upper middle class. I mean, our funding is the biggest one. That is really a a glaring one, and that, that hasn't changed you know, the smoke-free air and cessation, we are one of the few that scores an A in cessation. So that's really important. Um, I, I would say in the middle, and again, I like to say Minnesota leads, that we're proud of our health and our um, the the state that we're providing for the next generation. And again, tobacco is number one, and we have to continue to address the inequities because uh, across the state, in general, about 14% of the population smokes. But when you dive deeper into it, there are populations that have been left behind. Um, the American Indian population, those with mental illness, um, the African American population, the GLBPQ, they smoke at rates double and in some cases triple. So... Um, you know, it, it's an okay. I know when I was young, and I would come home with a report card, and it was just going to be okay. Um, that wasn't good enough.
1: And you know, we're talking about funding, and I think if I remember right, we're talking about the the tobacco settlement where we received a, a, a large sum. And if I'm I'm digging deep in my brain, but didn't a lot of these dollars go back to to balance our state budget, or am I making this up, Pat?
2: no you're not making it up there there were three different parts to the settlement and one part was a penalty into perpetuity based on sales of cigarettes in our state so every year we get a payment no matter what and it's a a little over 200 million dollars that's not taxes that's not any of that tax that's the penalty from the industry's uh, loss in the in the litigation 200 million. Uh, There was a one time payment of over almost 400 million. That was the endowment. And you are correct. That endowment was set aside for a while. It funded a program called Target Market with a youth initiative. And it did get used um, to balance the budget. That entire endowment is gone. And then the third bucket was what formed Clearway Minnesota. And that's a life limited corporation. So they will. they're past their halfway mark, and um, we have to start thinking ahead of how we're going to fill that very, uh, the very needed services that Clearway Minnesota provides.
1: And you know, I was going to ask, do you folks go in front of the legislature and, and try to secure some of these dollars every year?
2: Oh, you bet we do. We have a really strong coalition, the Smoke Free Generation Coalition. Um, that has dozens of partners that come together and agree on what the the priorities are for funding. We're very concerned that the quit line, once Clearway Minnesota, is no longer um, that provider. That that be funded. That the funds for the for the for programs be there. Absolutely, we are there every year. But I would also say so is big tobacco. And last year there were over a dozen tobacco lobbyists really focusing on rolling
1: back that tax. Thanks again to my guest, Pat McCone, with the American Lung Association of Minnesota. Back to you, Scott.
0: Thank you, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As the state prepares to host one of the top athletic contests in the world, there's competition of an entirely different sort underway in an enclave of rural Minnesota. MNN's Bill
3: Werner tells us about it. The committee in the small but vigorous north-central Minnesota community of New York Mills has set the topic for the 26th annual Great American Think-Off. And it is a profound question indeed. Which plays a larger role in shaping one's life? Success or failure? Please give that some thought. The organizers are calling for 750-word essays from anyone by the 1st of April. Not Fool's Day for sure. And they are likely to receive plenty of interesting responses.
4: This question in particular, I think this really can appeal to a large, um, a very broad audience. A factory worker and a college professor could both come up with really great examples of how how their life has been affected. Um, we really, you know, this is an armchair philosopher competition. So we always... Uh, really aim to get at the general or the typical American, whatever that might look like. You really just have to live life because everyone has experienced success and failure. That's
3: Betsy Roder, Executive Director of the Cultural Center in New York Mills.
4: This is a good competition, a good event to show that you know we're doing some some thinking in the rural areas too. It's not all the all, not all the the big stuff is happening just in urban areas and you know that's one reason why i love our logo too it's it's the thinker on the tractor which is you know the tractor is the logo for the cultural center and so i've always really loved that logo because i think it's such a nice visual representation of of what we're saying like hey you know what guess what there's some great thinking happening out here by farmers or whoever lives in the rural areas
3: i tend to think ms roeder is correct The ideas, which might save our nation from itself, probably will not spring from skyscrapers towering over broadly platted boulevards, but rather might germinate where native soil can still be regularly and clearly seen, not covered over with layers of concrete, asphalt, and steel. It is tempting, but probably not appropriate for this particular city boy to submit an essay to the Great American Think-Off. However, I cannot resist at least taking a shot at the topic here on the radio instead. We as Americans have a preoccupation with success. We strive for it, even expect it, almost as our birthright, some part of the definition of what it is to be an American. But success is a strange thing. If one finally manages to achieve it, it can often turn into something else. This is because human wants are boundless, and because, given half a chance, we turn ourselves into gods, ignoring that we are not cut out for the task. Consumed with that which it was nourished by, Shakespeare wrote in his 73rd sonnet, and even in another essential inquiry of the Bard of Avon, which everyone knows, to be or not to be, that is the question. Hamlet's famous soliloquy about nothing other than the topic of suicide ends in a way which could just as well apply to success and failure. And thus, the native hue of resolution is sicklied o'er with the pale cast of thought and enterprises of great pitch and moment. With this regard, their currents turn awry and lose the name of action. Our greatest doings somehow turn against us. By our very own selves. There is biblical advice in this regard, cautioning human beings against my power and the might of mine hand. This is addressed to successful people, but also to those who have failed and are fervently praying for something better. bill werner on the minnesota
0: news network thank you bill minnesota matters returns after this Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, I'm Scott Peterson. Well over $200,000 has been raised for the Children's Minnesota Child Life Program by New Orleans Saints punter Thomas Morstead and his What You Give Will Grow Foundation. Morstead will be in Minnesota ahead of the Super Bowl to deliver the check in person. The Child Life donations came pouring in after a Vikings fan inspired by Morstead playing injured against the Purple in the Minneapolis Miracle Game encouraged others to donate online. I chatted with Morstead about the overwhelming response and what the money's being used for.
5: So Child Life is, is a, uh, you know, kind of a department or area in the hospital that is focused on, you know, the, the children that are in the hospital. And it's kind of their, their, their I guess their main focus kind of the emotional well-being of the kids. So, um, you know, for an example, uh, you've got kids that are in the hospital going through cancer treatments and, they know when they go to the hospital, they're going to get needles stuck in them, and they've got, uh, you know, chemotherapy and poisons getting put into them, and hard to tell a kid why they're having to do these things. Everybody's emotionally in a different place, and it's important to have safe areas where there's no doctors, no nurses, you know, kind of inflicting these, you know, negative or painful things on them, and, you know, these child life specialists, they're really angels in the hospital that look after these kids and, you know, befriend them, and, you know, they're able to hopefully still be kids still, and they haven't, you know, been scarred and traumatized to the point of kind of having issues down the road. And so it's really important that we just take care of these kids while they're in the hospital. And the unfortunate thing is most people don't know about child life unless they've had a kid in the hospital. And anybody that's had a child in the hospital can tell you how important and how helpful it was for not only the child but for their whole family helping them through the process. So um, it's a great thing, and it's and it's very underfunded throughout hospitals because insurance doesn't, doesn't pay for any of it.
0: Thomas, what drew your attention to the Child Life Program in the first place?
5: Well, a friend of mine, James Reagan, uh, went through osteosarcoma and passed away. It's a childhood uh, bone cancer, and he just always talked about how important child life was, not only to him, but so many of his friends that were dealing with similar things and just watching the way he kind of like courageously fought uh his his battle and and uh the attitude that he kind of kept out throughout his time it just always really inspired me. and uh you know i just kind of want to something that i knew that there was a need for and it's, it's uh, just given me a really strong focus to, to try to help out
0: Tell me a little bit about your reaction to the overwhelming response here and elsewhere throughout the country for this particular cause. I mean, it, it really is outstanding, and I'm curious, what does it mean to you?
5: Well, you know, look, uh, I wouldn't say I'm in, in need in in some areas uh, myself personally, but you know, I, it, what it means to me should mean it, it means a lot that I think it's going to mean a lot to other people. Uh, it's going to mean a lot to those kids that hopefully are impacted in a positive way. But I think on a grander scale even than that, it's just, you know, there's so much kind of divisiveness in the world right now, or at least the world that's said to us online and the news that people see or they, they believe is news. And it just, I don't think, I think sometimes people just need to be reminded that most people out there are just good people that are hardworking working you know they're trying to just provide for their family and live a good life and 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 be a good member in their community and it's good to just see people band t- together uh for kind of a common thing it just kind of reminds us all that you know most people are you know are well-intentioned people that just want to be you know they just want to make a an impact in their own way and so i think it's good to be reminded of that, that that there are a lot of good people out there uh because we don't always get fed that in the news
0: and, Thomas, my understanding is you're going to be here personally to deliver the money to Children's Minnesota, is that correct? Uh,
5: yes, sir. I will be flying into Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul Airport, the Thursday before the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm imagining we haven't solidified everything yet, but I'm imagining we will do that on the Friday leading up to the Super Bowl. So um, really fired up about it. And I'm going to have the opportunity to actually go to the Super Bowl myself as a as a spectator, and so that'll be a unique experience as well. And so, you know, it should be a good good weekend all the way around.
0: I uh, certainly I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. I hope you're on the road to recovery, and uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything else you wanted to add this afternoon?
5: No, I just would just I guess I'd just like to say thank you to everybody. This has been uh, just on a personal level. You know, when the season ends as an NFL athlete uh, in the playoffs, you don't ever plan on it ending. And so when it does end how it did for us, it's devastating as far as football goes. And, you know, because you just, you it's not just about the game. It's this team of, of men that you've grown accustomed to being around all the time and you've built such great relationships. That team will never be the same. You know, guys will move on to other teams. They'll be released. They'll be, guys will retire. They'll be free agents and there'll be new players, and so that team is never together again. And so it's kind of hard to deal with when it's, it's just such a quick, shocking thing. And so this whole week has really given me the ability to cope a little bit with that and deal with something that's positive and, and with all the fundraising we've been able to do. So it's, I just would like to say thank you to everybody. Um, it's been, I'll never forget what's happened this week, and it's been a great.
0: Thank you to my guest, New Orleans Saints punter Thomas Morstead. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. More than 65,000 people will be attending Super Bowl 52 at U.S. Bank Stadium in downtown Minneapolis next weekend. That means a lot of people will have to eat. And a workforce of more than two thousand will be charged with supplying food service at concession stands, luxury seating and catering, specialty kiosks, and more. MN M&M Sports Director Mike Grimm gives us a bit of a culinary tour of what those lucky fans will have the chance to eat. Scott, James Mena is the executive chef at U.S. Bank
6: Stadium. He says he can't wait for Super Bowl Sunday
7: to arrive. It's super exciting. You know, all the time and effort we put into really, you know, creating the taste of, of Minneapolis, of Minnesota, and, and letting the fans really see what we have to offer up here in Minnesota. is It's fantastic. It's exciting.
6: So, those people lucky enough to get to go to the game. Tell us a little bit about what uh, some of the items are that you're most excited about that they'll get a chance to buy and eat.
7: Absolutely. So, uh, our rival sandwiches I'm very excited about. We have a tribute sandwich uh, for the Eagles, which is a South Philly Italian roast pork, uh, aged provolone, and and, um, and broccoli rob on, on an Amoroso Philadelphia roll, and then we've got a New England uh, clamwich, which is a kettle chip crusted clam roll, Old Bay tartar sauce on a griddled New England bun to kind of represent Uh, New England and and their flavors.
6: I have to ask you how quickly did that have to come together because you didn't know the teams until like uh, within a week from now.
7: Absolutely we had a couple we had a bunch of ideas in our back pockets for all the teams that had a chance to go to the Super Bowl so um, we had that ready to go. Now you have
6: a bunch of Minnesota items but did you have a separate sandwich had the Vikings won the game this past
7: Sunday? We did and we will be selling it in some of our clubs for Super Bowl. It's a Kramarchik's Wild Rice Bratwurst uh, served on a local roll with a lingonberry chutney and caramelized onions. So really, that's Minnesota in a bun right there.
6: Um, how much planning went into this? I mean, when you're kind of unveiling this week and when people go get to eat the food, uh, take, take us kind of through the process.
7: Again, it's it's been about a year or so. You know, uh, since since the day after last Super Bowl, it's it's been feet on the ground, thinking about what we're going to show, how we're going to show it, uh, you know, product development, recipe tasting, and, and you know, uh, just... Every week, you know, trying a new item and, 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 you know, coming down to the final product here.
6: Uh, give us a few uh, hints, too, on some of the Minnesota-specific dishes, if you would. Do you have a couple of favorites?
7: Uh, absolutely. Um, we've got our wild rice brat, which is very, very Minnesota. Um, we, have, we have a couple different tot dishes throughout the stadium. You know, which tater tots are very popular up here and, uh, you know, and uh, fried cheese curds as well. Um, we've got a beautiful walleye chowder that we're rolling out, um, which you know has wild rice and walleye, which is just very warm, very winter, very Minneapolis as well. Very excited about that.
6: How many people, obviously you're in charge of the whole thing, how many people will be cooking and, and serving as chefs and servers and everything else?
7: Uh, I mean, we have, we have uh, the U.S. Bank team is about, you know, including chefs and, and our cooks, about 75, 80 folks. And then we have about 25 chefs within Aramark from different NFL and, and MLB accounts that are coming to support us as well.
6: How, everything be cooked on-site then, or will some have to be come in from, from other kitchens, so to speak?
7: Oh, no. Everything's being cooked on-site. We, you know, we're, we're busy in production and getting our schedules ready, and it'll all be done in-house at U.S. Bank Stadium. All right. Another question.
6: Uh, I just, if you're coming to the game, hey, I love all that stuff, but I'm a simple guy. I want a hot dog. All just right. a good
7: old-fashioned. Hot, do you still have some of the standard fare, too? Absolutely. We're going to be selling all the fan favorites, chicken tenders, hot dogs, burgers. We'll have all that throughout the concourses and clubs as well.
6: Allison Sutera is the regional vice president of Aramark, the company that oversees the the food operations at the stadium and the Super Bowl.
7: We
8: could not be more thrilled that the Super Bowl 52 is finally here. I feel like we've been talking about it now for a couple of years. And having been in the Twin Cities, I know how excited the community is about it, how much our local partners are excited about it. And we at Aramark are so proud and privileged to be serving the fans uh, that are descending upon Minneapolis in the next couple weeks. So
6: pretty much a year in the making in terms of plans and everything else,
8: right? A year plus. I would say we started talking about this when U.S. Bank Stadium was on the, pre- you know, on the forefront of being built. And now that we've been operating there for a, a two seasons now, um, I'm just so excited that it's finally here. So these plans have been well in the making beyond a year and more.
6: All this food gets served to those 60-plus thousand fans that are lucky enough to go. What's the workforce like for you guys to put this all together to make sure everything runs smoothly?
8: So we are pleased. The workforce is incredible, um, and they are—they've been so excited all season. The energy they bring, um, you know, furthered by the Minnesota Vikings' success this season. Um, but they have all been building and working towards this event. So everyone understands that it's going to be, you know, a little bit more of a complex security environment, and so to add extra time. But our our employees have shown up in full force all season, and we are so excited that they will be as an energized for the big game that Sunday.
6: Give me a ballpark figure how many people will be working on that day for you guys.
8: So we have over 2,000 employees um, between the catering events that are in the stadium, the concessions operation, clubs, and suites. So a lot of coordination, a lot of staggering of times between the front of house and back of house employees. But yes, over 2,000 employees will descend upon the stadium and serve all this food.
6: And I know another thing you guys are proud of is the recyclable and compostable stuff that uh, you guys have, have been able to come up with
8: this is one of the, the recycling and compostable sustainability plan is something that I couldn't give enough credit to the local team and our partners at U S bank stadium, MSFA, SMG, you know, PepsiCo has been a great partner in this in in terms of just setting, um, on the cutting edge of, of sustainability in a zero waste facility. Um, it's been talked about in the news and people talk about sustainability, but they don't always live it. And I'm just so proud of our teams for being at the forefront of this. And we're truly, uh, uh, walking the talk, um, and, so to say and so to be able to unveil this then and this world-class event is just incredible and it it, all the credit goes to all the partners and all the hard work of the people on the ground.
6: How much uh, nerves are you experiencing as we're now about a week out?
8: I don't think there's that many nerves left. It's just, it's let's go. It's time to, um, we've been talking about it, and now we just got to go execute it. So I think the team is focused um, and energized, and, and we're ready to deliver a big event.
6: Scott, I was able to sample some of those food items this past week, and my personal favorites were the Monster Cheese Curds, the Bubble Waffle Ice Cream Cone, and some really good mac and cheese. Quite tasty. Scott?
0: Thank you, Mike. That is going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.